time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, we want to have a little discussion today about just aesthetics in general, particularly within the music equipment range, because now that music equipment has become more accessible to everybody you can sell a product to a lot more people because you have the pro market and like the consumer market. But what's really interesting is what some of the brands in like the pedal, synth, and even like microphone and guitar slash drum instrument range do to stand out because you can sell a box that makes a sound or you can sell a very nice looking box that that makes the same sound but obviously marketing is a lot and people buy with their eyes and this is also very true with plugins we all know that there's plugins that look really good that people like to use and maybe plugins that don't look that good that could probably be better but people don't tend to use them because they're oh you know it's not the it's either not the name brand or you know some people you know just want to have the thing that's you know well, they used it, so I want to use it. And I think that's fair, you know, that's that's what makes music technology and production fun is feeling like maybe you've tapped into using something that your hearers have used, or maybe it's the complete opposite. Maybe you're like, I've got this thing and it's my secret weapon because nobody is using it. And that's, I think that's very common as well, particularly among guitar players with pedals. Like people are like, well, I've got this vintage fuzz and... There's no way you've got it because it's so rare and by an obscure brand and only they only made like 30 of them. So I think these things can add certain value to you as a music producer or as a gear collector and player because some people just like to play and just have something where they're like, you know, I've got this and this is mine. But some of our favourite brands that we've noticed, like particularly in the visual realm, I mean... I think every brand we will talk about today will be great in terms of sonic quality because, to be honest, most brands are pretty good for sonic quality, but the visuals can be a bit more of a mixed bag because you have, you know, your your standard sort of does the job but aesthetically still very pleasing sort of boss pedals and electroharmonics and stuff, but then you get to brands like Dreadbox. And Dreadbox have a very sort of, focused visual style in the best possible way they they have the sort of the typography and the colors and the choices used like you can have a pedal that's called you know x brand distortion or x brand like rocker do you know what i mean that's that's fine but when you have something like like a dreadbox disorder or or i was going to say Co-Rem, I can never say it right. Rebi, I think. Rebi. Probably butchering it, but that's how it looks like it's said. Um, you know, Treminator, you know, you have these these sort of like, they've smashed two words together, or, or just like the visual aesthetics combined with the name of the pedal. I mean, it also like with the chromatic uh, modular series, they have like Hysteria and Dystopia. And Nostalgia. They're, they're, they're all in a sort of theme and, you know... Every, we're suckers for like a, a themed product, you know, because it's like one of those things you want to collect them all. And sometimes, you know, even if you don't want to collect them all, you look at the ones you don't have and you're like, man, imagine if I had them all. It's like, it's like you know, trading cards or anything else that you can collect, you know. There's that thing that ties them all together. And I think it can 
as a product manufacturer, it can very much incentivize people to keep buying your products. Yeah, because when there's a range and there's a series, a bit like um, like you say with the, like people who collect sort of playing cards or even like a movie trilogy, there's something about having the trilogy or the full series of a product that's very satisfying. Um, I've been trying to track down a discontinued series by Hot Turn, um, and it's called the Skyline series, and there's around 30-ish pedals in there, so there's a lot to get. And they're sort of like a quarter of a size of a normal pedal, um, but they sound really fun, and they're sort of like a nice budget thing to collect, but... You know, they're so hard to find some of them in particular because they've been discontinued and then a lot of people see them and they get one and they go, I could have like a mini board that's like got four pedals the size of two pedals. You know, some people have strapped them to the guitars and put them on their amps before because they're that tiny. And they do a board, don't they? Is it the Skyboard? Yes, the uh, Hot Turn Skyboard, which houses five Skyline series pedals, which I've never been able to even see for sale, really. Um, and it's just fun. Like the the aesthetic, the only thing drawing you to these pedals is that they are tiny. Yeah, and like, do you not find as well that like, the fact that they are available because we're not talking like Clon Centaur or ridiculous prices. You know, they're they're in the realms of affordability. I mean, sometimes they're like twenty pound, but like say sometimes they're one hundred and eighty. So the the value in terms of what the retail worth of these are, the second hand should I say worth, is all over the place, but. That makes it funner to collect because you can actually get a bargain, you know. It's not like getting a like first generation tone bender or something where you're gonna struggle to get that at a, you know, non-collector's price. These are things you can buy with essentially spare change or or just floating around money and they're still satisfying to collect. So you've got most of them, haven't you, already now? Yeah, I think I'm missing four in the range, four to six, depending on if you're classing the two loopers as part of it or not, which they're in the same form factor, but they're always, they're a little bit sort of separated to me because they're, they're just loopers, so they're not they're not sort of in there. But also, Wally Plus hasn't been discontinued yet either, so um, they are a little bit more readily available. Which I do find odd because you would think if they can make... Because is the tuner not discontinued either? Um, it might not be, no. Because I, I think mm. I, I saw it brand new on a few shops and it was still in stock and still selling. So I find it odd that most of the range is discontinued, but uh, a select few, but I suppose that will go based off sales numbers, I would assume. Yeah, and also like uh, it's nice to have a tiny looper or a tiny tuner. Um, some yeah, of the utilities. Like um, I've got in front of me a hot turn eqv which has five bands of eq on and if you think that this this hot turn pedal is maybe as long as four knobs on a boss pedal i mean it is like the the parameter section of a boss pedal is the full size of this pedal and then the fit a five band eq the jacks in the power a level knob and an on switch in the size that there's like four pots on another pedal. Um, it's sort of crazy how small and, and sort of cute looking these things are, but that is the sales point. Like the full, the full reason people go after this series is purely because they are, you know, it's a bit like anything when people see it's, small things, they just go, Ooh, it's cute. It's sort of the opposite 
of the like Electra Harmonics big box sort of collector mentality. Like yeah. this is like a get the smallest, tiniest thing you can get. But the other thing with the hot tone pedals is when shooting them out against other big brands, you know, there's nothing wrong with the sound. They're not they're not cheap sounding pedals. Some but, of them are very like well, I, th- I would say most of them are very very impressive, but particularly the uh, modulation effects, yeah, are they're, really really lush. Well, that is one of them as well, and yeah, and uh, they have toggles and lots. Well, any sort of feature you'd normally have, they all have three parameters, and then some of them have three modes and three parameters in the tiny tiny form factor. Whereas some pedals just have one knob and are a lot bigger. So it's it's one of those things. But like I say, it's just an aesthetics thing that's very satisfying. Whereas you have a lot of pedals tend to go for bigger boxes because obviously you need space. Like the hot turn pedals aren't very good if you're trying to do something at a gig and you go to turn one band down and your finger fits on three different bands. Yeah. You, know, you almost need tweezers like people joke with the, the boutique series. Like the faders are so small. You need to have tweezers and like pinpoint precision when you're doing automation in on like the hardware because it's so easy to slip or to knock two parameters down when when using them yeah and um the other thing is like i think it can like depending on what type of music you make like if you're making like synthwave or retro 80s influenced genres like a lot of people love like Brands like Dreadbox, I mean, how can you say no to something like hypnosis? Like, we're just looking at a picture on the website at the moment. And God, it just looks so good. And it's like a a module, like standalone, but also I believe fits in your Eurorack modular. But um it's multi-effects. But they've they've really just nailed like the aesthetic, like the 80s aesthetic. It's all like magenta and like a teal-ish, but leaning more towards the green. And um it's all sliders as well, which is quite interesting. Like Dreadbox love to do sliders on their Eurorack stuff. I mean, a lot of people use like knobs, uh, but the sliders, it's its a visual look. It's a bit like the Hot Tone EQ with the sliders, you know. its It really is a choice to use sliders because, you know, um, they're not a pain to put in because I built a CCTV module that has sliders, one of the mixers. But um, it takes up a lot of space, I suppose, on the um in the GUI or not the GUI but just the UI the user interface because you know a knob just it just fits on boom you twist it blah 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 whereas the fader you know it's like a console when you think about consoles like um mixing desks the faders take up a big chunk you know you know I'm just looking at our uh, mixing desk here and if you replace the faders with like a row of knobs you'd be able to shave like a couple of inches off the actual size of it if you know what I mean yeah because the faders go up from zero to, well, yeah, from, from no level to full level, basically. Um, and then if you was to have a, a row of 16 pots, yeah, you wouldn't need anywhere near as much of the vertical thing, but they would still have the full turn yeah. to gain it up, which is, it's like you say, it's, a, it's an interesting like choice, but there's something satisfying. Like when ev- anybody who's never been in a recording studio thinks of a recording studio, you would typically imagine sitting in front of a big mixing desk and throwing the faders up because that's what they tend to do on TV yeah. to represent that you are in the studio recording something because there's nothing visual about a lot of audio recording, but 
sitting at a desk and having the faders that you can say push 10 up with your 10 fingers that's not something you typically do most of the time yeah and it look it just looks good on tv doesn't it It looks good in music videos in documentaries when they do it that's why they do it you know we was laughing at the beatles um get and uh, not sorry not get back then and um, now they're then and now behind the scenes because they're talking about audio restoration and the act of like decoupling the vocals from the piano and on the screen it's just a fab filter pro q3 i believe and you're like that's not that's not the same software it's not even the same category of software and as, as we were saying about it looking good on TV, well, it's a reactive EQ. So if you don't know anything about music production, you look at that and it's response to the audio and you think, whoa, that's real clever. But it's not it's not at all what they're actually talking about in the mini documentary. Yeah, and, and like we say with aesthetics, like obviously Boss popularised the compact stomp uh, in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, sort of like the prototypes and stuff was going. And then that revolutionised the pedal industry and mainly what people loved about the boss pedals was the fact that there was all different colors yeah yeah and yeah, that yeah. that sells products like nothing else because i mean there's a, a set of line six uh 19 inch racks um called the what, what's the series it's just a pro series isn't it just a pro pro uh, series as which far as has a filter a mod and a An echo. echo in and they're just like if you watch butch vig talking on on a classic album documentary all you're looking at is the three you know you have a green pink and blue, blue yeah. rack behind him and when it's in a sea of white and black gear they just stand out it's what drew me to the um planet fat on on one of the classic albums where dj premier is talking and you just all you can see is this pink rack behind him and it says planet fat but that's branding that you see it and you go, well, what's that? Eye catching. Stands Whereas out. when you have a row of black raccents where they all have tiny letters on and there's nothing really to look at, if you don't know what they are, you just go, well, it's just a server rack. You know, that's the power of good visual identity. And I know that the idea of and the concept of minimalism is also very popular. I mean, look at Ableton. It's one of the most popular doors and nobody would say that that is a striking visual door in terms of graphic design because Ableton is as minimal and as uniform as it really can get in terms of of software but it has style in its minimalism but I think like in hardware it's hard because you can get like the boss the boss pedals are quite minimalist really they're just a typeset and a a colour and that's all they do whereas the Dreadbox stuff offers the opposite which is you know like i mean the fonts are just killer particularly in the chromatic and the the newer ranges in general and you know there's something about that because you know you could i mean you saw on ebay didn't you like um an orbit where somebody had right wiped the graphic off by mistake when they tried to clean it it was just a blue steel brush instead of having the yellow with the orbit logo yeah and you know if you did that to all music you know equipment you know, I'm just imagining what hypnosis would look like if you took all, you know, you just stripped everything off like you was building it fresh. I suppose it's the same aesthetic as like people's gaming PCs and rigs where they want to input their personality onto the hardware they're using to play games. And yeah. it's like taking all of the LED strips and neon sort of ribbons out of 
these gaming PCs and saying, there's a black, well, even better, the 90s, like, beige-coloured computer, which are still aesthetically desirable because I've seen new computers with that aesthetic as well. I think it's come back round. It definitely wasn't cool in what? 2006 or so yeah like when it when it just aged out of being the mainstream it was like the least cool thing you could imagine but if you're looking for like a vaporwave sort of aesthetic that 90s thing has come around so obviously some people sort of like are nostalgic for that type of computer which is funny to me particularly like i saw on instagram a picture of one of the high level gaming pcs with all the neons and stuff and, and rgb stuff in the middle but um the outer casing was like a 90s awful home PC. And obviously, if you was looking at that, you'd just throw it in the bin, not knowing what was inside. That's what makes you think, like, with with cases like that, you think, well, what about if somebody does just, like, say, say for some reason somebody has to go through and collect the stuff in there, some people would just look at that PC and chuck it and not even bother opening the side up because, you know, like, your gut instinct would say, based off the colour... And the casing, well, that's a piece of crap. But like you say, sometimes, you know, you open stuff up and you think, oh, well, that that is not what it looks like it is. And there's a lot of that happening, I think, because of, you know, the visual, like, medium, stuff like Instagram popularising these weirder, quirkier things. You see things that, you know, fool you, essentially. They look like the old things. I mean, there's a big thing. If you watch, like, the JHS, the JHS pedal show, They've got like people making really, really boutique and old looking like fuzz pedals and, you know, seasoned collectors like, you know, Josh Scott and Daniel Danger, they get tripped up occasionally by a new brand. I can't remember the one who makes like the six fuzzes in parallel. Stromer. It could be, but I'd I'd have to look into it. It's it sounds Stroma sounds right, but there's there's some good ones if you watch Totally Normal Behaviour, where they keep trying to up like the, the amount of fuzzes they have in parallel or in series, however they do it. But, you know, that that guy who makes them, he was, like, emulating a vintage look, like, to such a degree that he sort of tripped up these veteran collectors where their, their full thing is being able to know that something's authentic, you know. And um, that's the thing, though, when you do, you know, things to that level somebody might be, you know, going through like some sort of bin and go, well, that's old and rubbish. And you might look and go, no, it's not, it's new. But, you know, also the old rubbish things are often some of the best things you can find as well. And it's funny when you're talking about like visual identity and then where the companies are based. Like the thing is, is like with Dreadbox, what's really bizarre about the pedal series is it all has Japanese kanji characters on them, but the company's from Athens in Greece. So you would think, well, why do all the pedals have kanji written on and Japanese calligraphy? Because it looks dope. And then, <laughs> then you look and go, well, they're Greece, you know. But it's an aesthetic thing. And, you know, I suppose a lot of people really like the, the aesthetic visuals that Japan has to offer, like in a lot of different mediums. And they see it seeping into these little things. But like I say, you know, you almost look at it and go, that's cool. Really, you know, it's really cool. And then you look and it's like Dreadbox from Athens, Greece. And you go, why is it all in Japanese then? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, but it's, it's there because that aesthetically is a choice that they can make that also puts them, you know, like in sort of like a different box visually and i suppose though it's no different to like some of the sort of 
niche subgenres like in vaporwave and future funk where you look and there's these artists and you think well they must be from asia because everything is screaming you know they're remixing city pop and and sampling really deep cuts and there's a lot of asian culture in in the product they put out and then you look into it and they're not they're from like latin america or, or whatever. brooklyn or whatever yeah and yeah. and that's a really interesting thing i think you know there's something about the escapism there as an artist that it has a certain allure of oh well you know i don't necessarily want to um you know use my culture because you know some for some people they know their culture they want to explore a different culture and it's hard because you get into a weird realm of is it cultural appropriation let's focus on the positives of it of yeah, yeah these yeah. people are passionate about other people's culture and certainly as as somebody who lives in england i can see plenty of people who you know not from england who are passionate about british culture you know, in terms of the visual and, you know, the, the full swinging or 60s following, thing. following, like, Led Zeppelin and, and the Beatles and, like, the sorry, classic Brit rock pop. bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't um, mix grunge and Britpop up. That would be a, a crime. <laughs> but, like, say, so you have, like, effects. To get us a sort of slightly back on topic, you have effects like the Tube Screamer by Ibanez, and you can buy them in, like, the mini factor, the normal form factor, and then you have, like, what you would deem the most desirable version which is like the power series ts10 i don't believe that is it's the series before or is before it the series that. before yes no that it's one of the more desirable ones because i believe john mayer used the ts10 in one of his rigs but it's the the original vintage looking one so when i believe if you look at the new ones they're in the visual style of the one that's most um desirable oh so yes and this is like the one after yeah so this, this is, is the one after i believe the reason why the power series tube screamers uh if i'm not getting it all wrong is more popular is because they're a more affordable version of that one but they're basically the same circuit give or take so yeah. it's one of those but i i do think that they're more visually appealing they're certainly not as retro looking they definitely look more modern but i think um it's because, like, of John Mayer, I believe, because he used one. But also, it's, it's interesting because it, it shares a very similar form factor to a typical boss pedal, but there's something about having the foot switch offset that instantly changes, like, the look and the feel of the pedals. And um, it's just, like, an aesthetic thing that it doesn't really help. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not... It doesn't really make it more usable it doesn't really do much for the user experience in the way you'd use it live or in a studio but there's something about just the 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 idea of the ts10 versus the vintage ibanez ts9 it's the ts808 just i think the ts808 is the one that is the uh the most desirable the most desirable but then the, then the other one's like half price range on reverb as desirable so it's it's still, still pretty damn desirable. Like uh, yeah. the TS10 tube scream is like four hundred and forty-seven pound on reverb. The yeah. argument with this is why buy any of these retro versions or older versions when you can just go on a site like Gears Music or GAC and just buy the latest fifty quid one or ninety quid one or whatever. I mean, essentially, this is this is getting back into the idea of being a collector because if you want the sound, you just buy the TS Mini. Like it, it does the thing. It does it. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I've got a TS Mini because Tube Screamers aren't necessarily the, the, my like go-to as a guitar player, but I wanted one, like a proper one, just to 
to be able to go to it and try it out because, you know, they are very popular for a reason. But if you just want to try a Tube Screamer, get like a TS Mini because they're like 90 quid. I can't remember how much Instead of paying like 447 for the 80s TS10 or even worse, 797 pound. We're looking on reverb for context. Uh, for the vintage Ibanez TS-808 Tube Screamer. Like you say, they all essentially have the same sound, very similar typology. Uh, what, what, what would you call it? Topology. Type Topology, there we go. <laughs> I was going to say typology. You caught me off guard and I, was, I had to think, I was like, what? what is it? Yeah, topology. Topology, for those who don't know, is bit the the essence of the circuit. So like a Tube Screamer has like a topology and most chipsets, so say like a chorus, a chorus that is a bucket brigade will that that's the topology the bucket brigade chorus and everybody does a similar stuff for the most part give or take because that chipset is designed to be used a certain way so that's what we're talking about when we talk about topology so you can have a ibanez tube screamer and then you can have the behringer tube screamer and you can have say um keely or um vertex effects tube screamers and they all follow the same basic topology being that's the sound that gets you into the realms of it being a tube screamer and then say the vertex one might have three band eq and somebody else might swap some diodes out and that's the main difference like you know if you pick up two pedals and they're both tube screamers but they're by different brands you go well this one sounds different to me could just be one different component and that might be the thing that makes it sound different and yeah it sounds different but the actual core of the circuit might be or, almost identical. Or in the worst where you just think it sounds different because you're looking at it, and if you was doing a blind test, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, which they have done on the JHS show with, like, budget versions of legacy pedals that have wild price differences, and it's very difficult for experts who know pedals to even pick out which one's which because at the end of the day, your eyes can deceive you, and you can think, well... I know my trusty distortion, whatever. And then somebody can record a song. You can say, are you using that pedal I like? And they can yeah. be like, no, I'm using a 20 quid Behringer one. You know? Oh, I'm using, God forbid, software. Some people software, like, yeah. That blows people's minds. Oh, well, I'm using Guitar Rig. And they're like, what? what? How can you be using Guitar Rig? It sounds so good. I'm like, well, yeah, Guitar Rig sounds ace. It sounds amazing. I mean, I've got Guitar Rig uh, 7 now, isn't it? Guitar yeah. Rig 7. Yeah. Yeah, it is Guitar Rig 7. I'm trying to remember. Um... And uh, I've got like a orange valve amp and guitar rig, you know, doesn't sound exactly the same, but in the context of a mix, which is what everybody always says on all the proper, when you're getting really into the nitty gritty of gear, people start to go, well, in the context of a mix, you can't tell the difference. And that's because, you know, audio engineers, if they do a mix, they're probably going to high pass it. They're going to compress it. They're going to squeeze it down and, you know, take a lot of maybe the body that is the actual thing you would notice in the room with your guitar amp that all just gets mixed out most of the time so when it comes down to it you know the the main difference between guitar rig and say an actual tube screamer might be the fact that guitar rig at native instruments have thought well let's cut the crap that the engineer is going to take out so when it hits the song it's like partially mixed and um that's going to be the main difference in the room, but in the mix, that probably might make guitar rig sound better. You know, I'm I'm being very general when I say this, but you know, that can be the main difference between the software and the hardware. You know, the software is trying to get you more 
to the end goal, maybe. But also it's interesting with software how a lot of them emulate the old Neve racks or mix consoles and they emulate, like even on Guitar Rig, you know it's a Tube Screamer just by looking at oh, it. Yeah. You don't even have to read the text on it. You, they've yeah. got the right shade of green. They've got white writing on it. They've just got... It, it's all the same. And they, they do that with all the stuff because some of these sounds and effects have an identity because it's like when they say that some people think certain effects should have a certain colour. That is imparted by, oh, well, I use boss and boss have blue choruses therefore choruses sound blue to me because of the association yeah and that that's what gets people to use the products and do you know what i mean it's like it's just these silly little things that are trivial to people who don't look at them but it's one of those things where this is all just branding and identity it's like you hear a sound you think a color you think of the box if you're really into pedals yeah and that you know that's how branding works and that's how some of these companies are able to stay afloat and you know that's the reason why some companies can launch very cutting edge pedals even like the hot tone ones to an extent crazy how good they are for the price because yeah. they was made to be a budget line but obviously they can be taken as slightly gimmicky and obviously some people don't like tiny pedals some people don't like um non-american made or non-home made pedals non-japanese made as well yeah, that's yeah. a popular it's one like people will look at two boss pedals and say i want the silver screw one from japan for double the money yeah are but you like it's the same it's the, it's same, the same it's thing. the same thing but you can see a visual representation of the silver screw so it, it's just that sort of thing with pedals and that can make or break pedal ranges or full companies just that it's like what is tying you as a customer to that brand what's desirable about it is it the form factor is it the company's legacy itself or is it the fact that you know it's made by somebody you know and it's local because for some people it's just local sometimes it's just like well john may uses it or eddie van halen used say mxr and, and and that can be the thing that gets you as a consumer involved you know I, I definitely think would people necessarily buy boss if there was no guitarist that really used them no and i i mean in a hypothetical world where they're always sold well but nobody like massive used a boss pedal but when you when you look at boss prince's board all boss you know a lot of people like Steve Vine, Joe Satriani, they have boss pedals in their rigs, or at least in their heydays, like of, of them and breaking out, they did. Boss as a brand is tried and tested, a bit like how Shaw's SM57s and 58s live. They're tried and tested in the studio. People can rely on them because everybody uses them. It's a bit like Canon cameras. You yeah. know, it's just, it's the go to, you know, and you can't go wrong if you get what everybody else is using. So that was a bit of a detour from our regular music programming and more into the gear side, which we, we always like to talk to. And we do talk about from um, occasion to occasion. But um, what do you think? Do you think that it really matters what brand it is? Do you think the looks matter? Do you think that software or hardware have any perceivable gain? Like in a, in a production sense, we all know that software is like quicker. Hardware can be more inspiring. But what do you think? Yeah, let us know in our Q&As and polls and see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening.